Hello, and welcome to the Elk River Lutheran Church Powered by Love podcast, recorded in beautiful downtown Elk River, Minnesota, right on the banks of the Mississippi River. Today we'll explore the Bible, life, and faith. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some sacred wit. To be powered by love is a spiritual thing, more than a feeling. To be powered by love Don't take money Don't take fame Don't take no credit card To ride this train It's strong and sudden It's cruel sometimes But it might just save Your life To be powered by love I'm going to start off this morning with a little bit of a story, sharing a story from, even though it is from like 20 years ago, it's one that I'm still a little bit embarrassed about, uh, but I share it because I think it's important for us to kind of acknowledge and, you know, share and even learn from and help others learn from our own uh, misconceptions and uh, mistakes sometimes. So this was, like I said, about 20 years ago, I was out in Philadelphia. I was touring the ELCA seminary there. There's a seminary in Philadelphia. And so I was there on a Sunday morning. And so I went to church, this nice big cathedral style Lutheran church on a Sunday morning. And as a part of the service, they were celebrating like milestone birthdays and anniversaries. So like they'd announce the people, everyone would kind of clap and they'd come up and they did a special prayer. And it was a really nice thing. But of course, I didn't know anyone, so I was really only half paying attention, and uh, I can still picture it, though, because I remember they said, they announced this couple, 25th anniversary, and a couple starts walking up, and I look, and it's two guys walking up, and I paused, and my brain was kind of trying to process and think, huh, I looked, and I thought, huh, And I still remember the thought I had. I thought, oh, one of their wives must be homesick. So his friend is walking up there with him. That must be, huh, that's kind of interesting. So I watched as they got to the front. I'm thinking, that's weird. Both of their wives must be homesick. Huh, what, huh. And then I'm noticing they're kind of holding hands. And I'm like, huh. Okay, and finally, after way too long, it clicks, and I go, oh, they're the couple. They are the ones whose 25th anniversary is being celebrated, who everyone else here at the church seems to know and is really excited to be celebrating with them. Oh, it was a moment of realizing, wow, you know, I have some biases in my mind that I don't even think about, but that are just there. And, uh, you know, the funny thing was, even, you know, 20 years ago, still, I knew gay people. I had, you know, gay friends. And so it wasn't so that it was such a foreign concept or idea to me. I'm kind of a country bumpkin from North Dakota, but, you know, I mean, I had some awareness. It was just that I had this heteronormative bias in my mind that was stronger than, uh, you know, my ability to kind of actually see what was actually going on right in front of me. And so I I use that word heteronormative, and I want to put a definition to it because I think it is an important term for us to be aware of and think about. Uh, Heteronormative is defined this way. It's a worldview that promotes heterosexuality as the normal or preferred sexual orientation. 
And I share this because I think so many of us, you know, if we've been raised in this culture, are raised with a pretty heteronormative worldview, which means we kind of jump to assumptions that aren't always correct. For me as a straight cisgender man, if I say, you know, I'm married, my spouse, a lot of you would probably automatically picture and assume a woman. And of course, you know, you all who know me know that actually, yeah, that is correct for me. And so I think it's easy for a lot of us who would fit into that straight cisgender like category to say, well, so what's the big deal, right? I mean, people make assumptions, you know, it's okay. It's easier for me to say something like that because I'm on that dominant side of culture. When people are making assumptions about me and my, who I might love, you know, they're usually correct, But I think a lot of us who are here as a part of this church, a part of the reason why is because we know and really care and love some LGBTQ people who are maybe not on that same hetero side of the world where those assumptions can not only be, you know, just wrong, but also even hurtful. And so it's important for us who care about people who are not on that hetero side It's important for us to kind of push against that heteronormative worldview and think about where it shows up in our minds and how it might not always be accurate or the best way forward. And so this is some of what I want to think about here today. And so uh, to think about this a little more, I know some of you might be thinking, heteronormative, I don't know, what is this? So let's play with gender roles and norms a little bit if we could, okay? Let's think about the presidents of the United States. Here they all are. Uh, as you look at all these presidents of the United States, what do they all have in common? They're all men. Darn it, someday we'll change that, I think. But to this point, in the United States, if you are going to be the president of the United States, you better be a manly man. That's the way to get elected for all the years of our country's existence. So another kind of follow-up question then, how many of these men, these presidents, were married to women? Anyone know? If you said all, you are almost correct. All but one, all but one, James Buchanan, the 15th president of the United States, was not married. Uh, and interestingly enough, he has kind of some interesting background where he, uh, he did live with his friend, uh, Senator William Rufus King, for 15 years before he became president. And then they separated after. And so people have kind of long speculated, hmm, maybe there's a reason he wasn't married to a woman. Uh, but he never married and uh, he was president. But everyone else has been men. Married to women. That's a part of our uh, gender assumption for the role of president. If you're going to be leader, you better check those boxes. Except for 150 years ago with that one guy who we kind of often forget about because, you know, it was a long time ago. And so our heteronormative biases, what they do is they kind of also allow us to assume assumptions about people we know. Uh, One example of this, I think maybe a lot of us would have thought that Anderson Cooper a number of years ago thought, you know, you know, he just, you know, Anderson Cooper, CNN anchor, silver fox of a guy, right? Uh, We thought, well, you know, he must just not have met the right girl yet, right? He just, you know, he hasn't met the right gal and someday he will. 
Well, and then in 2012, he came out and realized, oh, oh, like my realization in the church, say, okay. You know, we kind of make these assumptions without even thinking about them a lot of times. This is what I'm saying when our heteronormative worldview creeps into uh, the way we see the world. We look through these heteronormative lenses, and often we carry that then even into our experience of church and the Bible. And so uh, let's think about, uh, think about this a little bit and, uh, and the Bible, and we dive into the Bible, and let's think about gender roles and stuff in the Bible. There's a lot going on there. Let's go straight to Jesus. Interestingly enough, Jesus, of course, is described as a man, right, in the, in the Bible. He, he is a guy. That, all accounts point to that. Um, but interestingly enough, Jesus does not do any of the kind of typical masculine, manly things that you would expect from a first century Palestine man. After all, does he get married? No. We have no uh, accounting of any kind of relationships with any woman. Uh, does he have children? No, I mean, that is the way to pass on your lineage. It is the thing that a man in first century Palestine should do. Jesus doesn't even have a job. Uh, so he doesn't really fit into any of these typical things that would be the typical masculine gender role. And so in Jesus, we have a Savior who does not fit the typical gender roles that we would assume and put on someone. Jesus probably couldn't have been elected president of the United States. <laughs> uh, we put these gender roles on people, but like with Jesus, a lot of times we just haven't really even given it much of a thought because, well, Jesus is Jesus, so we don't think much about the gender roles he might play. Now, uh, some people have pushed that a little further and uh, have said, well, maybe Jesus was gay, you know. Uh, the truth is the Bible doesn't say anything about that, but the Bible also doesn't say anything about him being straight. And so a lot of people who have assumed that Jesus is the straight man have been bringing that into their reading of the Bible because, of course, it's just not addressed in any way. That's us bringing our heteronormative lenses into reading the Bible. Are we having fun yet this morning? Oh boy, we're getting into some stuff today, aren't we? So uh, the Bible and homosexuality. The Bible has been used as a weapon against LGBTQ people for a long, long time. I am really sorry about that. It's really unfortunate. I think not only it's unfortunate because it's cruel, but I also think it's really not a faithful use or interpretation of the Bible. Uh, if we look at the Bible, if you can go and do some research, you can kind of see that there are maybe at most six or seven passages that talk about sexuality in a way that uh, people have said, okay, yep, this is anti-queer. This is saying homosexuality is bad. Uh, these are these six verses, seven verses that, that, that really point to that. I'm not going to go through them all one by one, but I want to just draw some, some kind of broad strokes and points to point out that I don't think those are the most faithful reading of the Bible in general. Uh, for example, one point would be that the word homosexual does not appear in an English translation of the Bible until 1946. Prior to that, there's all kinds of translations that did not have that, but in 1946, the RSV, Revised Standard Version of the Bible, comes out, translates one verse with the word homosexual, and then almost immediately 
retracts that and points out the fact that this was a mistranslation of the word. And so actually now the new revised standard version, the version that we still use at church here today, does not even include the word homosexual and homosexuality. Is that kind of surprising? If you've been around the church for a while, you know there are a lot of Christians who say the Bible has a lot to say about homosexuals and homosexuality, when in fact those words don't even appear in our translations of the Bible. The other thing that's worth pointing out are the majority of those six or seven passages, again, kind of how, depending on how you count them, when they talk about sexual immorality, the majority of them are talking about really kind of uh, sexual violence or rape. We're talking about in the story of Sodom, there's angels being threatened. And then in the Apostle Paul talking about sexual immorality, there's this Greco-Roman practice of kind of creepy old men taking on young boys as partners. And so that is specifically addressed and gets pulled into this conversation on homosexuality. I don't think any of us would look at those kinds of examples and say that that's good. They're terrible examples, and yet I think we can also point out that that is very different than a modern-day, consensual, committed couple. That's a very different conversation. Uh, The Apostle Paul, who actually had quite a bit to say about sexuality in a whole different ways, he actually, his main point was, ideally, no one would be with anyone and we'd all be celibate like him. So that was kind of what his main idea was. That that would be the best thing for everyone in the world. Um, But what we know is that there are certain people who just say, no, 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 no. Ah, you can say what you want about the background of these texts, but it says what I think it says. It's, you know, the Bible is anti-gay, which I don't really buy. But they'll say that's it. And not only that, but you have to put all these Bible verses on an equal footing and follow them all equally or else you are just not a good Bible-following Christian, which I also don't buy. Because the reality is when we come to the Bible, we read all kinds of things and we do have to prioritize what is the overall arching message of the Bible and what are other kind of teachings or followings that do not fit for us in this day and age and fit with the greater scope and narrative of the Bible. Here's some examples of that. Do you know that in the Bible, according to the Bible, it is illegal to touch the skin of a pig? This is going to make the big football game complicated next week. We got biblical laws against this, folks. Do you know that it is illegal in the Bible to charge or receive interest? So any of you who have a savings account, you're not getting much, but it counts. You're in trouble. Do you know that according to the Bible, there's all kinds of examples saying that it is okay for a man to have more than one wife? Some of you are thinking, one is more than enough. <laughs> I didn't say it. I was just, I know you were thinking. And within our country, of course, we have laws against polygamy, which would be considered anti-biblical, right? The Bible and sexuality, this is all complex stuff. Jesus in the Bible, he actually never talks about sexuality once. All of his teachings, he teaches about all kinds of things, doesn't even bring it up once. What does he talk about all the time? The way we love one another. He talks about money, interestingly enough, all the time. Uh, Not a whole lot of churches preach about money as much as Jesus did. But Jesus talked about money all the time because he was so worried about the ways that money and our desires for stuff and greed draw us away from our relationship with God and from one another. That was a top concern for Jesus. 
Sexuality just, just didn't come up. You've maybe known or seen that Jesus actually speaks pretty harshly against divorce in a few passages. Maybe you've come across those verses. Maybe those verses have been used against you. If that's the case, I am very sorry for that. Fortunately, within the Lutheran tradition, as I have known it, we have met those passages in the greater context of Jesus' preaching of love and grace. And so rather than meeting people who are in broken relationships with judgment and cruelty, we've met people with love and grace. And isn't that better? The reality is, anyone who wants to use the, web, the Bible as a weapon can probably find plenty of ammunition. It's a big book with a lot of little verses that you can cherry pick and choose to use as a weapon if that's really your intention. But I cannot believe that's why the Bible was put together. I cannot believe that that is a life-giving reading or interpretation of the Bible that is going to help anyone or the world in general. The Bible, the overwhelming message when I look at the Bible, what I see is that we have a God of love. That we have a God of love who has created us, each and every one of us, created us in God's own image with all of our wonder and complexity, created us in the image of God and called us to live as blessed and loved children of God. I'm going to close by sharing a few Bible verses that I have cherry-picked from the Bible. A few verses that I have cherry-picked, not just because I think they are such good and wonderful verses standing on their own, although I think they are, but because I think they are a much truer and better representation of what the Bible says about who God is and who we are as children of God. Share a few of these here. First from Psalm 139. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This psalm, if you go and read the whole psalm, 139, it's all about how God has created us, how God knows every inch of our bodies, every thought of our minds, and that God has chosen to walk every step of this life with us. Or John 3.16, probably the most famous of famous Bible verses that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. For God so loved the world. Not just this group and this group, but definitely not that group or not this group. For God so loved the world. And in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says simply, Come to me. All you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus does not want to be our weapon of judgment. Jesus wants us to meet him, to have him meet us in our weariness, to lift our burdens, and to set us free to be living as the created children of God that we are set free to live as God has created us to in this world, to put love into action. We heard these verses from 1 Corinthians 13 that are so often read at weddings. I'm guessing you've heard them at weddings before. It's a description of love and how it is that we put love into action. When we are living love, we are a reflection of how love is described here. Can this be us living in the world, being love? 
For love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. For the LGBT community and for the whole world, may we all live this love. Thanks be to God for a love and a God whose love is greater than any understanding we can cling to. A love that knows no limits. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us. You can find more information about Elk River Lutheran Church at our website, elkriverlutheran.org. And if you'd like to give to support this podcast and the other ministries of the church, just click that Give button at the top of the homepage. Thanks again, and have a great week. Don't take money, don't take fame, but it might just save your life. To be powered by love.